You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. You should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull. It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Thank you so much for joining us here on this fine little Friday. It's Thursday, but I like to call it Little Friday. (laughs) I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Tonight, the entire Michelle Meow team, the Michelle Meow Show team, will be at a special evening celebrating LGBTQ families, and that evening is called Night Out by Our Family Coalition. And so while we're doing that, today we'll play you a couple interviews we did in the past, some of my favorite, uh, such as Margaret Hoover, an awesome Republican, modern Republican, I should say, uh, who's also an LGBT activist, and an interview we did with Adian Dowling, who's a transgender male model and about to become I hope uh, he I hope he becomes uh, the first ever transgender man to grace the cover of men's health magazine so we'll play you those awesome interviews enjoy and uh, we'll see you next week same time Monday four o'clock Pacific Standard Time because tomorrow is hashtag Foth or friends on Fridays where John Zipper airs his political roundtable talk You are listening to a rebroadcast of an earlier version of the Michelle Miao Show. John, I just mentioned that, you know, yesterday was my birthday. Oh, by the way, thanks for trolling for birthday wishes. Happy birthday again. <laughs> That's not what I was going to say, but oh, I did, mean. Oh, and did I mention uh, it was your birthday yesterday? It was my birthday. The yeah. only reason why I want to bring it up is because I, again, I, again. I, I talked about... On on my thirty third birthday, I want I wanted nothing more but to 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 have people give back in some way. So I went to a fundraiser mm-hmm. uh, on my birthday, and uh, it was a comedy show. And um, I was actually disappointed. It was a comedy show featuring or showcasing LGBT performers, mm-hmm. and I had one performer there who was trying to impersonate Whitney Houston, and it just came off so wrong. It I came off it, pretty racist. No, you know, and it, trying to impersonate her on drugs, um, mm. trying to impersonate her being a lesbian, and it was just, it felt so anti-female, so anti, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff for me, but but it was racist, it was it was offensive, it just didn't hit the mark, and 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 it was um a guy by the name of Barry Walters, and he's he writes for Rolling Stones, and he's a you know he's interviewed Madonna, so you think that they're funny, but sometimes when people write, you know, as a columnist. They just they should just stay behind the magazine or their computer screen. <laughs> Maybe their editors do it all in the uh, editing process. Anyway, um, I will not make you wait anymore because I feel like you know this is a birthday gift to you. No more birthday shout outs for me, okay? <laughs> 
Our guest today is a gay rights uh, activist. She's the host of the Get It Right show on Sirius XM. She's also the author of American Individualism, How a New Generation of Conservatives Can Save the Republican Party. Uh, you might have seen her on CNN as a political commentator. She's been a huge vocal voice for change as a Republican consultant, and I am so excited to have her here on the show. It's Margaret Hoover. Margaret, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Happy birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, you heard, huh? For, oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe she heard a little bit. Thank you so much. I'm so vain. Um, all right. So, John, since, you know, this is my gift to you, I think you should start uh, with a question for Margaret. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Hi, Margaret. Hi. Uh, now, you wrote on CNN last summer that the Republican Party was beginning to get same-sex marriage. And, uh, you know, they were starting to see it as a matter of personal liberty. So despite their own personal views, perhaps, they were kind of seeing that same, you know, same-sex marriage rights were something everyone should have. Um, that was, I think, in June or July of, of 2014. Give us an update. What do you think is happening? Has there been further evolution? You know, so Republicans, like everyone else in this country, have been uh, waking up to where the country is going. I mean, uh, sadly, Republicans have lagged, I think, the exponential change we've seen on LGBT freedom across the country, and it truly has been exponential. I mean, you know, if, if President Obama can evolve, like, we have to have, I think, a little bit of patience with Republicans to evolve, too, especially when President Obama wasn't actually evolving. Like, we know that in 1996 he signed a petition saying that he was in favor of same-sex marriage, and then, you know, for political reasons, didn't have the courage to you know, stand for for his convictions when he ran for office, but then right. he was able to politically evolve. We know in his heart he probably didn't evolve. Um, I don't know, man. Who knows what's in his heart? I, I'm assuming you know he 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 you know it was a political decision, um, which is what it is, frankly, for for most people. I mean, I worked on the the effort to pass marriage in New York State, which was the first state to pass marriage uh, with a Republican right? legislature. Oh, yeah. And uh, we, you know, even when we were lobbying these legislators, you know, the majority of them got it. Even the ones who couldn't vote for it got it. Um, you know, you didn't have to make the sort of the, the heart pull the heartstrings appeal. It was right. just a question of whether they could politically survive. And, you know, that's unfortunately the, you know, I'm, I'm sorry it's not as aspirational as one would like it to be, um, but it is just the real sort of how the sausage gets made in politics. You've got to convince these legislators and these elected leaders that they're going to be able to survive um, to, to see their next political fight if, if they take that courageous stand. Right. And, uh, and that's what we're, you know, we're trying to do at the American Unity Fund, the organization I run. And frankly, you know, the, the data is just so strongly in favor. You know, Republicans over the age of 50, 50% 50 of Republicans over the age of 50 are in favor of freedom to marry. Um, more than 80% yeah. of Republicans are in favor of, of recognition rights and, and non-discrimination. Now, now um, and, and at the same time, there is an extremely stubborn wing of the GOP that finds same-sex marriage just to be, I think to them, it, it, it's so far out of what they ever expected to see in their lifetimes. Yeah, that, but let's be clear you know, about Supreme who they Court are. They are white evangelical Protestants. Yeah. And they're, Frank Bruni had a great column two weeks ago in the New York Times um, where basically said if you, if you take that segment out of the Republican primary, out of identified sort of Republican primary goers or Republican caucus goers, you actually have a party that's far more evenly divided on these issues mm -hmm. than disproportionately against them. Far more libertarian, yeah. So what do you, say, what do you in your position, then, say to that wing, that, that the, the, the rump white 
evangelical votes? Well, what we, I mean, what we do, we're tactical and we're strategic, right? Mm -hmm. So we're trying to win non-discrimination in red states. That's what, that's what we're focused on now, because we figure if we win in enough red states, we'll be able to win at the federal level too. And, and that's sort of the next play. I mean, we are hoping, although we're not going to get ahead of the court, but we're certainly hoping that the court will make an affirmative and final decision on marriage by the end of this session, you know, probably it'll be on June 29th at 10 a.m., which is the last possible day the court can <laughs> can hand down a decision this session. Yeah. Uh, and if that is the case, you know, the the challenge for me as a Republican in this space, LGBT freedom, is educating Republicans that the issue isn't over just because marriage is settled, that right. you can get married in the state of Arizona, for example, and then go home, post on your Facebook page, and be fired the next day simply for being gay. Exactly. Margaret, uh, you know, I spoke to Gregory uh, Angelo, who's the executive director of the Log Cabin Republicans last week, and he mentioned that when he was there at CPAC, um, there was a good number of millennials there. And so you touch a, a little bit on millennials and and how, you know, millennials can actually help change the Republican Party or the future of it. What are your thoughts on young people today or young conservatives? Are they really the future of the well, Republican Party? So here, I mean, I thank you for asking that question. So I wrote this book called American Individualism, but the subtitle is How a New Generation of Conservatives Can Save the Republican Party. And um, what I what I meant by that, what the book was really about is, you know, who is this millennial generation, the largest uh, generation in American history? They've just outnumbered the baby boomers. Like, who are they? What are their sensibilities? And the argument I make is that they're sort of my kind of conservative. You want to fight over what the word is. I'm a fiscal conservative. You know, I, I care about a strong national defense, uh, but I am not a social conservative. And that that is entirely consistent with being the, sort of this party or these principles of individual freedom. And that the millennials sort of ascribed to that. They're, they're, you know, they, but they cannot stand the anti-gay bigotry. And so the Republican Party, so my case was sort of to, to make this case to the Republican Party that, you know, if you want to win the next generation, who are, you know, 25% of the electorate in the next presidential election, for example, um, you know, we do need to, to sort of, I would say, modernize on, on some of these issues. CPAC, however... <laughs> Um, it's funny, I, I did my radio show out of CPAC, and I did it really begrudgingly, because I've boycotted CPAC for the last, well, since 2012 when Go Proud was kicked out. Mm-hmm. They invited Log Cabin, but they, you know, they gave them the back bench. They're like the back of the bench. They're the back of the bus. You know, they said, you can come, but you can only talk about Russia. Right? They didn't get to talk about marriage. They didn't get to talk about non-discrimination. They didn't get to talk about anything gay. And they had to sit, you know, sit in the back of the line and sort of follow these certain rules. They were total second-class citizens at CPAC. And so, so I like, made a big stink about doing my radio show from there, but boycotting it, but sort of trying to sort of highlight that um, this is a, the conservative movement contains and continues to allow these strains of bigotry in it. And that's, that's just totally not okay. And, and, and by the way, there aren't young conservatives. I mean, young conservatives, they're, they're like, if you look at the millennial generation, more than 50%, I think it's like 52% if you look at the last Gallup numbers that came out, or Pew numbers. And Pew is the one who's done, Pew Research Center has done all the really intensive drill-down polling on the millennials. Right. 52% are independents, self-identify as independent, unaffiliated. Um, something like 30% are Democrats and like less than 20% self-identify as Republican. Now, within that Republican cohort, whether they identify as conservative is this other question. But to the, the people that you get there at CPAC, I think they're largely pro-gay. I think they're largely pro-freedom because that's just who their generation is. So, Margaret, but I think I, they're also 
you know, they're in bed with the devil on, on, on that issue. And, and they're not sort of standing up to it or sort of aware that the American Conservative Union that sponsors CPAC, you know, is, is basically sponsoring bigotry. Yeah. So I, I've, I've got to ask you a question because, you know, I think a lot of times when folks come across someone like you, uh, a, a very outspoken and uh, uh, pro-gay Republican, the, they often want to kind of like throw out all these, you know, anti-gay comments made by Republicans. I'm more interested in how did you not end up that way? I mean, you come from one of the premier Republican <laughs> conservative families in yeah. the country. How did your views not conflict with, uh, you know, what you were taught or were you taught this way? No, I was deeply influenced by my great grandfather Herbert Hoover, who I never met, <laughs> yeah. because I read all his writings, and he was a you know he was a Quaker, right? And I he, didn't he know was that, the no. most most people. I mean, one of my passions is like reeducating Americans about Herbert Hoover because people know nothing about him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think what you think you know about him is like a modicum of, and it's, it's probably incorrect, and it's it's you know it's it's just like a, a sliver of a ninety-year life. But he was the first president to invite an African American to the to the White House. Mm-hmm. To like openly meet with him. Teddy Roosevelt had Booker T. Washington, but he had him in secret. Hoover had him. There was a major scandal called the DePriest incident when Hoover first got into office because my great grandmother made the grave mistake of inviting all of the wives of congressmen to the White House, one of them being an African American woman who was the wife of an African American congressman DePriest. And uh, it, 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 it uh, enraged the Virginia delegation. They boycotted the tea. Uh, they sent a big letter to the White House. And uh, Herbert Hoover came home, and Lou said, I'm so sorry, I've screwed this up for you. And he said, are you kidding me? And he, he issued an invitation directly to Congressman DePriest to come meet with him in the, in the White House office. They didn't have an Oval Office at the time. It was <laughs> actually in the residence. It wasn't the, the West Wing was different, configured differently. Okay. Um, but but so, so Hoover was a social progressive. So it's like totally consistent with the sort of political philosophy I was, you know, sort of educated with growing up. Mm -hmm. And I think the Republican Party has sort of ruefully and sadly moved away from this rugged individualism, which, by the way, doesn't mean every man for himself and the devil take the hindmost. It means, you know, sort of we're, we're this country and the society based on individuals, but individuals who do things within the context of their communities. And that's what American individualism is about. And rugged individualism is a term that Herbert Hoover uh, coined. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just totally consistent with the, the sense I have of, like, you know, the organizing principles of, of being sort of a center-right person. Right. So you've got that background. You're in what might be called a mixed marriage. You're a Republican. Your husband is not, right? He's not a Republican. He is um, he's not a Democrat either. He's what, you know, a lot of people, especially maybe hearing you in San Francisco, you know, I, I gave him a lot of pushback when I first met. I was like, if you're not a Democrat, you're not a Republican, you're nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he's what the majority of Americans are. They're unaffiliated. Yeah. They, they don't think they have to buy into brand A or brand B in politics. And that's what the millennials are, too. Um, they just they've, by the way, had more consumer choices than anybody else. So why would they have to pick A or B in their politics? Um, And and so, you know, we really do approach it differently. Um, You know, I I don't think partisanship is terrible. I think hyper-partisanship can become a disease, and I think it has. Um, So so we quibble over over the details. But I think in terms of, you know, core principles and values, we're pretty aligned, as are most Americans. Yeah. Margaret, we have to take a quick break, but we uh, definitely are very excited to return with you. I've got a couple major questions that I really, really need to ask. Great. (laughs) All right. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to continuing. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues with John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, and we're speaking with Margaret Hoover. Don't want to miss it.
Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Last year, we did not get you your billion back. We got you your billions back. So many billions, we started thinking, this isn't tax season, this is refund season. And nobody gets more of your money back than Block. Guaranteed. Get your billions back, America. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is with us here today. And on the phone with us is Margaret Hoover. She's a gay rights activist, also the host of the Get It Right show on Sirius XM, a CNN political commentator and Republican badass who's modernizing (laughs) the entire party. Margaret, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, God, I hope that I have as much uh, success as your confidence. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. You brought up something that I so want to talk to you about, which is the non-discrimination laws. There's these bills that are popping up all across those red states. And, you know, just this month we heard from like uh, places like North Carolina, Arkansas, Arkansas, you know, who are successfully passing uh, our bills that, you know, limit uh, freedoms for LGBTQ people, especially in the workplace. It doesn't feel like we're winning at all. It feels like, you know, for for people who believe in the freedom of all Americans, it's a direct attack. What are your thoughts? It is a direct attack, and you're not not wrong about that. And the the places where they're thriving are in the American South Um, and somewhat in the American West. Um, but there are red states, and this is why the effort with Republicans is so, so critical. Because your typical LGBT organizations who have fought these fights for so long, so meritoriously and successfully, have a reputation for being grounded in the progressive movement and don't have as much credibility going into a red state, talking to a red state governor or red state legislators on these issues. And so I think what's real, what's fascinating is like you're seeing this transformation in the LGBT movement nationally towards a truly and authentically bipartisan strategy. 
that really focuses on how do you make these arguments, compelling arguments that will win, both at the ballot box, heaven forbid you have to go there, but you're going to have to in some places. It's just, it's not that it's heaven forbid. I mean, we want ballot initiatives to win, right? Because we want to right. demonstrate that we can win at the ballot. It's just, if you're a tactician and a, and a political strategist like me, it's, it's a way more expensive way of, of winning, but it is necessary in key places. I mean, we needed the win in Maine and Maryland and Minnesota and where was our fourth uh, that year in 2012, Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, Washington. We, you know, you needed those ones at the ballot box to demonstrate that we could win at the ballot box. Right. But um, what has, what ha- uh, to your point about non-discrimination is, and I'm so glad you asked this, Michelle, is, is you know, there are, there are people who are concerned about court cases and concerned about the marriage case because of backlash. Um, you know, they, then they, and they sort of liken it to those sort of Roe v. ways they're going to be if the Supreme Court rules broadly on marriage, will there be backlash? And I think the answer, unfortunately, is yes. And I think we need to to sort of be aware of that and prepare for it. And by the way, the Arkansas and North Carolina initiatives popped up without, I mean, all of this is, you know, the SB, is it 1060 from Arizona? I always confuse the immigration one with the non-discrimination one. I think it was 1060 was the non-discrimination, 1070 was immigration. Um, In Arizona, they mishandled that one so badly because it was sort of such a broad discrimination law. It wasn't just about gay people. It was about basically anybody because for any reason you could justifiably discriminate. I think that they overreached and there was backlash against it. They've gotten smarter. And so what they're doing is they're creating Religious Freedom Restoration Act uh, all over the country, which is, is just really, that's the final frontier of the, I think, political gay rights movement in this country in terms of achieving full political freedom and equality. And I, I think that's what the next four years is going to look like, especially if the Supreme Court rules in favor of marriage. And it's, it's, a, it's a massive education effort in these red states. Um, I, don't, I think a lot of these states, like, for example, I was just on the phone with a, a bunch of activists from Arkansas, and they swear their state is way more libertarian than you would think. But the numbers are terrible there. Yeah. And, and businesses are against it. And, um, you know, state legislators and electeds, when they learn about it, are against it. But this thing sort of snuck up on them because the activists on the other side are organized. And uh, they're sort of striking while the iron's hot. And I, I think this is, this is really going to be a, a really serious battle over the next you know, I, I hope four years. I hope it's not longer at four to six years. I sure. think it's, you know, our goal is to have LGBT incorporated into the nation's civil rights laws federally by 2020. Okay, so as you're doing this, name some of your Republican allies in doing this. Who are some of the names who are who maybe people well, don't realize are actually out there uh, helping out in these fights? Well, it, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a ton of people in the states that are working. I mean, for example, there are 200, more than 230 Republican state legislators who have voted for the freedom to marry in their states, in their state legislators, mm-hmm. and not lost their seat to, because of it. Um, there's a, there's a, a really broad sort of coalition of Republicans from state to state who, by the way, learn from each other. Like when the battle comes to their state, legislators from a state who have passed it are able to share their experiences with other legislators and say, hey, um, you know, you can take this vote, you know, the polling, you know, we trust, trust this organization that's helping you, they helped me. Um, so so you re- we really have to be tactical and smart and strategic as a movement uh, in, in this next phase. Uh, in Congress, we've gone from like one to, I think, 13 or 14 members of Congress, senators and U.S. House members who are fully in favor of the freedom to marry. And the latest example is this conservative brief to the court case. Um, the, the court case that the 
um, Supreme Court is going to consider right, there are like, the Constitution. There are like 300 there are, folks. There are several it. senators and, and members of Congress mm-hmm. on it. And I, I believe David Koch is uh, one of the, he's not a Republican, of course. And he, David Koch. David yeah. Koch signed it, too. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's the Michelle Miao Show. We're speaking with Margaret Hoover. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is with us. Um, Margaret, you know, when I, I'm looking into 2016 and there's some rumors of some potential presidential candidates. Obviously, people are talking about Hillary Clinton. People are throwing Jeb Bush in there. And it's interesting, Jeb Bush, you know, who's hired a, an, an out gay conservative, uh, com, you know, communications person. Yeah, Tim uh, Miller. Tim Miller. Yeah, full disclosure, somebody I've worked with and, and know pretty well. You know, what are your thoughts there? Is that kind of like the result of a new party forming and new ideas being inclusive of LGBT people, or is this all a strategy? Look, I don't know. I don't, well, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's as sinister as being a strategy, except for that he's an incredibly excellent communications person. So, <laughs> I mean, to the extent that that's a strategy, you want to hire you want to hire the best people. Um, but no, no, it's not a play. Look, Jeb Bush isn't a bigot either. I mean, that's a, it's an important thing to remember. Um, I think when we talk about all these Republicans, even if they're not fully in favor of the freedom to marry yet, we support. Like my tactic as a Republican is to support them on the on the journey towards evolution. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, you never wanted to call out Obama for being a bigot for not being for marriage yet. You just helped him get there, and you know, and then he, and then, and then eventually he got there. Um, you know, there there are Republicans like Jeb Bush who, you know, they're traditionalists, they're Catholic, their faith really informs them, and you know, it's it's a it's a process. It's really a process. So you know, we continue to support and help them on that process. And not make them, not call them a bigot, and, and sort of force them in their corner, and you know, hope that they'll eventually get there. And and certainly Bush's public comments have gotten much better. I think it, it you know, I think they re- have reflected that, frankly, the change in the country and the change of heart the country's had is, is that as people know more and more people have gotten married, they realize the institution of marriage is getting stronger, not weaker, with with gay people getting married. Um, they they realize that it's sort of no harm, no foul. In fact, you know probably getting better right all things being equal uh so so i you know i think there's there's hope for jeb um i don't think there's a lot i mean there's hope for everyone frankly um i don't want to say there's no hope for rick santorum <laughs> you know maybe there is hope for rick santorum but you know i'd probably put my money on jeb over rick santorum sure did you see the story about uh, the log cabin republicans here in california uh finally being recognized by the state gop i guess they were the first state gop to actually recognize them as an official uh group is that I didn't see that story. It's great. It's, yeah. It was a recent development. I mean, yeah, the California yeah, is... Republican Party. I hate to. I hate to sort of cast throw stones or call it a, <laughs> a kettle black because the New York Republican Party is basically deplete. I mean, there's like it's just absent almost. Um, you know, but but it's it's crazy. Some of these you know big states that had robust Republican traditions like New York and California have really. Um, that, that really depend on a modernized Republican Party. Just recently, mm-hmm. recognizing that Republican, Republicans seems a little bit behind the times, but I'm delighted they've done it. Yeah. So, Margaret, I know we promised you, we, we probably went over our time limit with her, which That's I feel okay. really I, bad, bad for. Talking and there it goes. <laughs> <laughs> you can send the bill to uh, our producer. Now, um, just one last question for you. I know that you're a new mom. Um, and, uh, you know, so do you think that Jack will grow up to be a Republican or a Democrat? <laughs> um, you know, Jack's going to make his own decisions, but, uh, you know, but he's going to, he's going to be fully informed. He's going to have all of, all of the opinion. We're going to, we're going to go through liberal and progressive philosophy and ideology as well as, uh, conservative and, and, uh, sort of American individualism philosophy. We're going to, we're going to 
introduce him to everything and then let him find his way. <laughs> that is so cool. And remind us, by uh, by the way, again, for those who are tuning in today and super interested in hearing you, you have your own show on Sirius XM. I do. Sirius XM Channel 121. It's the Insight Channel. Sirius XM Insight Channel 121. And it's called, it's at noon on the, on the East Coast. 9 a.m. on the West Coast, so maybe during your commute, or maybe, I think West Coasters go to work earlier, but uh, maybe right when you get your, get to your desk. Um, right. so 9 a.m. on the West Coast, cool. noon on the East Coast, and uh, yeah, get it right with Margaret Hoover. Cool. Margaret, you're so awesome. What a great birthday treat for me, and then Happy a gift for you, John. Michelle. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Come by anytime. Take care. Bye-bye. When we continue, uh, John Zipper and I go... Uh, we're going to continue to talk is what we're going to do. <laughs> Our next guest on the phone, you'll you'll want to hear from him. Uh, he's a trans model, and I think he broke the internet, but not in a very oily, nasty, slicky kind of way like a Kardashian, <laughs> we know. So don't go away. The Michelle Meow Show continues. Gay Vanity Wedding Show returns to the Bentley Reserve Sunday, April 19th with a San Francisco-style fashion show and aisles of vendors. You'll come away with ideas for a wedding that represents the unique personalities of the two of you. Buy tickets at GayVanityWeddingShow.com. Hi, I'm Marsha Levine, and I'm the parade manager for San Francisco Pride. About working for San Francisco Pride or really any Pride is that you're creating a space, a venue, an opportunity for somebody who lives someplace where they're not as free to be LGBT to come out, be with others, like them, identify, and feel a sense of community as well as freedom. If pride can do that for just one person and make them feel a part of something instead of making them feel like they're alone, that's why I continue to work on pride to this day. I think that San Francisco especially is a freelancer's dream. It's one of the best cities where you can come and you can work on contract for as little or as much as you want to. It's a, a big part of what I do to be able to afford to live in San Francisco. Saving's really important. San Francisco is not an inexpensive place to live. And when you have extraordinary circumstances cropped up, uh, like illness or other expenses, repairs and things like that, if you don't have the savings that could really affect your ability to remain a viable member of San Francisco's residents. Spotlight on success and achievement, brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this fine Tuesday. I'm going to call it hashtag thirsty Tuesday. No, that doesn't work. No, it doesn't. 
Uh, you know, I how try. About, how about, and this is just really subtle, but day after your birthday, Tuesday. <laughs> it's been a full uh, day now that I'm 33. I feel so, um, so much uh, older, I guess. Not you're, really. You're looking very mature. Yes. I couldn't wake up this morning. It probably was the one and only glass of wine that I had last night. Thanks for joining us here in the Michelle Meow Show. Uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is is here with us today. I always love Tuesdays. Always have, uh, you know, love having a sidekick. Um, <laughs> I'm your Robin. Anytime. <laughs> Thanks, John. All right. Our next guest is on the phone with us, and he is a very, very, very hot, hot, hot guy. <laughs> and I know so because the inter- internet responded that way, and he probably broke the internet, like I said, but not in that, ugh, that you know, the other person who broke the internet kind of a way. Um, I love the Kardashians. <laughs> Not really. Well, we've all seen the iconic photo of uh, Adam Levine with his wife's hands over the re- the respective, uh, you know, body part of the, the man, the, the goods, the man goods. Uh, well, F to M Magazine, the publisher, Jason Robert Ballard, saw that, you know, that the, the, he could recreate this with a, with a different type of awareness. So we're, we're going to welcome the model who, who did that, Aiden Dowling, uh, and he's here with us on the phone. Aiden, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Michelle, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm getting all f- flustered here, uh, you know, with John, and he's turning pink because uh, <laughs> we know we notice how hot you are. <laughs> and I guess I guess the internet thought so too. I mean, since the uh, you know the photo that you recreated, uh, you know, like I said, Adam Levine did his thing, and it was like an awareness for testicular cancer, I think. And then you mm-hmm. did yours, um, but for a different reason. Tell us why you did, you know, a, 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 you reposed this way. Yeah, well, uh, first off, you know, everyone was super supportive and and really nice. I was actually genuinely just surprised at how well uh, people took it. Um, So that was, first off, really great and awesome. And then, you know, we really wanted to, I was going to be featured in this magazine for a company I run, a self-style transgender clothing company I run. And we wanted to do, like, a cool promo piece. So we're like all right, well, let's look at some cool pieces to do. And then uh, Jason kind of sent me this one, the picture of Adam Levine, and I was like, "Uh, okay, well, let me think about this. You know, I didn't really think I was going to just be naked. Um, But uh, we were like, you know, it's important to put that awareness out there that there's trans men and women and we're just kind of everyday people. And, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of us out there, even though you can't pick us out of a batch. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so in Adam Levine's uh, photo, it was his wife's hands. Whose hands were in your photos? So those are my wife's hands also, actually. Oh, awesome, <laughs> okay. awesome. My wife. Yes, yes. So how many times did you, ha- did you have to reshoot any of it? I was just wondering, like, what if, what if the hands, like, you know, weren't at the perfect spot? Or, or, or perhaps <laughs> if her hands were not big enough, well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, it, everything worked out really well. Uh, the two went really good. Um, you know, we were able to cover what needed to be covered, I guess, as you would say. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so... Goods, as you said earlier. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, let's talk about the responses, though. For, you know, you've gotten responses yeah. from a lot of people around the world, and, and most of it has been positive, but what have people said about that photo? Yeah, uh, people have said really awesome things about it. Um, they really love, like, the awareness. I mean, I've gotten a lot of people not in the direct, like, LGBT community who've emailed me and just said that 
they're just kind of blown away. I mean, people don't even know that, you know, transgender people exist, you know. I mean, they know of it, but they don't really understand, I think, the, you know, the high volume that we actually take up. And um, so everyone was super nice about it, um, like so much support. And then, you know, there's some people who are uh, not understanding of the community and they don't really quite understand what it's like to be transgender or to go through the process. So there is, of course, always some people who aren't, you know, just kind of ignorant and they don't really know. So they're going to hate, which is fine. Sure. Sure. It's expected. But I think overall, I was extremely surprised at the positive uh, and support that was given. I I was really excited to see your photo and the way that it was presented. And I thought it was so brilliant, you know, that you teamed up with F2M magazine on that. Um, Because one of the things that I, I do notice is, well, yes, the American media or, you know, is picking up a lot of attention on transgender women and trans issues. I haven't really seen a whole lot of coverage um, regarding transgender men. And in fact, you know, before seeing your photo, I really don't, I haven't, you know, really been reading headlines regarding transgender men. So do you think that, you know, perhaps uh, we need more awareness specifically for trans men? Oh, for sure. Um, I love that you brought that up because I think it's important that people understand that this is kind of one of the first, you know, dippings of trans men in the mainstream media. I mean, we have great people out there doing amazing things like Laverne Cox and Janet Mock people who are in there in the media space, you know, really putting a name out there. Um, and there are some trans men doing it too, but, you know, the only quote-unquote famous trans guy I could think of is like, uh, you know, Chad Bono because of Cher, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the immediate, like, media person. He was on Dancing with the Stars or whatever. But, um, you know, other than him, I can't really put a name, like, a, a name to the face. You know what I mean? Right. So, is the, so has the reaction to this kind of inspired you to try to do more along this lines? Not necessarily always with your clothes off, but I mean, of making this point <laughs> and, and, and reaching other people with, with uh, your story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I have, uh, you know, I've been reaching out for years. It's, you know, again, that's why we even did the shot was for FPM Magazine because I run a, a clothing company. I have a YouTube channel that's been document, documenting my transition for the last five years. Um, so this kind of was just uh, an extra push and kind of a shove saying that, like, there are trans men out there and, you know, I'm one of them who's trying to make a difference and make a voice for the trans men um, out there, you know, and just the transgender community as a whole, really. Um, Right, right. Yeah. We're, we're speaking with Aiden Dowling. He's model. He's a trans activist and an entrepreneur. And you might know him uh, from his newfound fame because of this photo that's been posted <laughs> and circulating around that F2M magazine has published. And he's uh, re- recreated a photo that Adam Levine did where there's just these hands coming up at the bottom covering, covering the man goods. But uh, Aiden's version is really to bring awareness for transgender uh, the transgender community, transgender people. So, Aiden, I wanted you. You know, you brought up the fact that uh, you did a documentary on your transition. Which is it out yet? Or I wasn't sure. So um, I have, I have a. It gets better. Did a documentary on me and my wife in 2012, um, which was uh, actually and like recognized at the Emmys and everything. It was really great. Um, that was just documenting our wedding. And then I do document personally through vlogging on YouTube, which I have been doing for the last five years. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's like the documentation that I do for 
my, um, you know, just for my life and every things that come up being trans, um, you know, how to, how to handle things, you know, being transgender in a, you know, cisgendered world kind of thing, you know, Um, that's, that's what I, what I document on my channel and it's gotten great response too. Um, that's like where I get really personal and that's actually kind of where I think the platform for the picture took place because on that channel, I'm very vulnerable and I try my best to be as transparent and open and honest about the transgender experience from my own personal point of view. So I really feel like that picture too also kind of just added to the vulnerability and the transparency and the authenticity that I try to live my daily life with. So let's get serious for a second here. You know, I feel like since uh, the LGBTQ community has progressed in a way where we now, you know, are experiencing an incredible amount of support from the country, such as marriage equality, I'm not convinced that the transgender community is seeing that same amount of uh, success. If if, if anything, it's a fact, right? And, you know, John and I were just talking to Margaret Hoover in which we talked about these bills that are popping up in red states in which they limit the rights of LGBTQ people, specifically the transgender community. And I really feel like some of these politicians are attacking or using the transgender community as a way to win these anti-gay bills. And, you know, one of that to specifically talk about would be, you know, this argument of um, uh, transgender people and access to public accommodations like restrooms. You know, as a trans man, I think we've spoken to so many trans women who have been able to articulate, you know, how how incredibly hateful these uh, right wing groups are. But, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts from as far as like a transgender man and, you know, somebody trying to limit your rights to just using the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, um, automatically as a transgender man, as far as using the bathroom, it's already so limited because men's restrooms are not um, very not equipped to um, use a stall, pretty mm-hmm. much. Everything has urinals. The stalls are never, or not never, but they're rarely even equipped for someone to actually use them for a private matter. So already um, bathrooms right now, just me living as a transgender male, are extremely hard to even come by one that I could actually use. Um, so, you know, to be to tell me that you're going to take away the ones that I even can use is just even more detrimental because you know I've had multiple experiences where you know um, I've I've not been able to use the restroom because it didn't accommodate me in the fashion that was needed at that time and uh, you know having to wait hours to use the restroom is actually you know can damage you in other ways on exactly. your health. And, um, you know, so the fact that, you know, it feels like we're specifically being targeted just to, like you said, like these basic accommodations that any human deserves to have, right? Because if I'm not allowed to use the bathroom, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? You know, I'm kind of forced back into my home, forced to stay where I am behind closed doors, you know? Right, exactly. What are some other trans uh, male issues, you know, that trans men face that may be, you know, a little different than transgender women? Again, and it's only because the media is focused or has covered, you know, transgender women from transition, uh, from transitioning to social issues to workplace issues. I really would love to take this opportunity to, to get some specifics from you. 
Well, I know for sure that a lot of the struggles that um, trans men and women have are pretty similar. They just have slight different angles. Like, I know, for instance, one thing that trans men go through is a lot of trans men, not all, but a good majority of them decide to go through top surgery, which is the removal of breast tissue so that you have a more masculinized chest. Um, you know, to live with breast as a male, you can only imagine, is a very difficult thing to do. It's a lot right. harder to remove something than it is to necessarily put it on. Um, so when, you know, when we don't have these basic um, rights for our healthcare system to just get a surgery that is uh, a fairly m minor, lower price surgery compared to many others, um, to not have these this simple surgery covered under insurance right now is, is really difficult for us on, on the daily, on the everyday matter. Um, just as much and just as important as being able to use the restroom, it's important for us to just be able to wake up, put on clothes, and, and live a, a regular, normal, healthy, mental, physical life. You know, I, I've, I'm kind of wondering as we're listening to all this and, and thinking about the initial, you know, the, where we started with this, which was the huge response and the favorable response to this, uh, the photo shoot. Um, any response from Adam Levine? Has he commented, hey, this is cool? Great or question. Anything? <laughs> uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Um, I mean, he seems like a cool guy. Uh, you know, I think that I really hope at least that he would be supportive of, of what we were trying to do with him, his image, initial image and then the recreation of it. And um, But no, not yet. I haven't, I haven't heard anything yet. <laughs> I don't know. I think that he might be silent because your pecs uh, seem a lot bigger than his. <laughs> so he might be kind of scared. And your biceps are you know, much more formed. He's, he's kind of a scrawny guy. I'm looking at the picture right now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Adam Levine's going to hate me. I mean, I, I'm a true fan of The Voice. That works. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, he, he has a lot of he has a lot of body, body positivity. Like he promotes that, like he likes to be naked, and like he has a lot of positivity on his own body. So I hope that like he could appreciate, you know, what we were trying to do with us. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm wondering what your wife is thinking, feeling about all this positivity <laughs> and this uh, newfound fame, because you know I'm sure the the ladies have <laughs> absolutely communicated <laughs> with you uh, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, well, uh, one of the running jokes is that uh, when it first went down, the, like, she got a couple of emails from, like, all of our closer friends and family, like, hey, girl, those nails better be yours, those better be your hands, you know, like, you you better have been at that photo shoot, you know, joking with her, like, stuff like that, so. That's really cool. It's funny, but she's super supportive, and um, she's a, a therapist in MSW, and she's really, really supportive of the transgender movement, and um, supports me through my transition and many, many others. So um, she's she's been loving it. You know, there's nothing better, I guess, than someone saying your husband's a hottie and you're like, yeah, he gets to come home to me, you know. So I'm sure she's, uh, <laughs> she's sulking in her own ways, you know. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, I think, you know, you're it's just so awesome that you did the photo and I'm so glad that Thank the response you. has been what it is. I, one last question for you before we let you go. I mean, you know, what do you think that the LGBTQ community needs to do in order to increase awareness for transgender people, especially transgender men? I think that the community as a whole just needs to make a little bit of room on the platform. Um, not saying that 
we can't all share a space on this platform. You know, it's LGBT, QA, and a bunch more. You know, there's room for everybody up there, and I feel like, you know, everyone's voice needs to be heard. So I just think that a little bit more room for the transgender community as a whole in the LGB um, world and lifestyle and some recognition that a lot of us were LGB before um, we were T. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to just remember that we're still in that family. You know, that still feels like home. So when I go to a gay bar or a lesbian bar and I'm with my wife and I'm feeling outcasted, you know, that doesn't make me feel safe. And going to a straight bar, you know, that's not my necessarily my, my home either, you know. So we just, we just want to feel at home again in, in our own community. Awesome. Aiden Dowling, everyone. You can follow him on Twitter. He's on Twitter, and Aiden spelled uh, in a special way, of course, because he is very special. <laughs> and it's A-D-Y-I-A-N. We can post that information up at michellemeow.com also when we get the description of the podcast. Aiden, take care of yourself and show us some more of that awesome body when you get a chance. Uh, thanks so much. Happy birthday, Michelle, and thanks, John, for having Yes! Us. I got another happy birthday. <laughs> you just made her day. When we come back, John and I will continue talking because it's the Michelle Meow Show. So you don't want to miss of an us earlier talking version about of the Michelle Meow it's really Show. Important. Or my birthday. Don't go away. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Like us on Facebook and share us with your friends. Find out more at facebook.com slash progressive voices. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do, and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW. Last year, we did not get you your billion back. We got you your billions back. So many billions, we started thinking, this isn't tax season, this is refund season. And nobody gets more of your money back than Block. Guaranteed. Get your billions back, America. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back to Ticklish Tuesday. Does that work? Is this your move away from Taco Tuesday? <laughs> I have a whole list of other foods it can be. It could be Twix Tuesday, Trout Tuesday, oh, tr- Tartar Tuesday. Sauce Tuesday. I don't know. <laughs> it just gets worse. Tuna, truffle. <laughs> 
Toast, tomatoes, tiramisu, tiramisu. Tiramisu Tuesday. (laughs) Tofu Tuesday. Tofu Tuesday. I would stay away from that one. You guys are no fun. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Uh, You know, I wanted to bring this up because I I, I talked to you before the show started and I mentioned it during the break. Yes, for the millionth time. It was my birthday yesterday. I went to a fundraiser. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you. I didn't know. Um, I, I went to a fundraiser and there was a comedy show and a guy who's a columnist and, you know, has interviewed Madonna, uh, some other music legends. Barry Walters is the guy's name. Uh, and uh, I guess he contributes to Rolling Stones. Well, um, Rolling Stone. Yeah, there's only one. Right. Sorry. It's just one stone. Oh. We're not going there. <laughs> So wait, so wait, you you said some of what he said. He was kind of making fun of uh, Whitney Houston. Was he trying to do a comedy bit or was he just telling something that happened in his past? I mean, kind of in judging those things, you kind of wonder, okay, what was their angle in, in trying I, to do that? I, I have a, a clarification email message from Margaret Gomez. Okay. You know, Margaret Gomez being the awesome lesbian uh, comedian here in San Francisco, but yeah. she's doing shows now everywhere. Um, but she said that he he was trying really trying to do was a tribute to Whitney, and that just really I did not think that at all. And part of his act was that you know he was reenacting an interview that he did with Whitney in a hotel space, and so he would be himself and he would ask a question, and he would pretend he's Whitney, and so he was impersonating her. Um, it it just it, it came off extremely offensive in in my opinion, but. But then again, if you're you're into arts and comedy, maybe you think that I was just overreacting. I don't know. Um, I usually think you're overreacting, but um, you know, it, it, when when you're doing comedy where you're kind of making fun of something or some well, someone, let's say, it's a hard it's a hard thing to do because the audience really kind of has to trust you that you're not really you know either I don't know a racist or anti-gay or something like that. That the joke is perhaps on the people who actually do believe that kind of thing. Um, when it's someone like this who is not a comedian and, okay, you didn't, you didn't get, you couldn't understand what he was doing and his job is to communicate, whether you're a writer or a comic or a radio host or whatever. Um, the whole point is you're supposed to be communicating something and if your audience isn't picking it up, well, then you didn't do a good job. Yeah, the, I was with a woman who's African-American and it was, she was offended. She was extremely offended, but she you know, said, I'll stay and hear him out. I want to hear his point. And when there was really no point, except that he was trying to impersonate a, uh, obviously a Whitney Houston who was messed up um, and using the words, like I was telling you, you know, when you use crack and you use pipe and you're referring to a black woman all in the same sentence and you're, you know, white guy doing this bit, it, it just doesn't, yeah. It's not. It's not good. Unless not you're good. in a frat in Oklahoma, you know. It's. I just stay away from that. <laughs> well, here's another thing I wanted to talk to you about. And speaking of, you know, the arts, and then some of these celebrities, you know, mm-hmm. totally a lot of what they say either takes uh, is being taken out of context, or people are just really offended by them. But Russell Tovey, who is a British actor, um, and currently has a role in the HBO hit show Looking. I know you love that show so much. You tune in every Sunday, right, at 1030? I do. I'm just waiting for this guy to show up in it. (laughs) 
So Russell Tovey, you know, had said something along the lines of he was really glad that his dad didn't send him to like ballet or like something theatrical because, um, you know, it's it, he, he really pride himself in being not effeminate. And so a lot of people found that offensive and, uh, you know, not inclusive of all different kinds of, you know, gay men in the in the world and that there's nothing wrong with being effeminate. But, you know, is that his comment being taken out of context or is it offensive? Yeah, I don't know actually anything about him. Uh, is he gay? He's gay. And he's saying, thank goodness I didn't end up as an effeminate gay? Yeah, kind of, sort of along that, you know, and he, he thinks it's really special. He, he's really uh, prideful of the fact that he's masculine and, you know, he's, he's landing all these different roles. Like his next role, he's going to play like something really macho. Iron Man. <laughs> Iron Man with the interesting ears because yeah, his ears with, are kind of bent funny. And the fabulous earrings. I mean, he 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 talks too much, I think. Right. You know, he might, someone who really is just happy with themselves and their body and they like what they have built out of it, good, bully for you, you know, as they say. But mm, he, I would think that's the kind of thing where, again, he should be thinking about his audience. His audience includes some effeminate gay men and they couldn't care less whether he, what he thinks about his own body. They care about the message he's giving publicly. And now, you know, blowing up the gay community and, and, and not singling someone out, but like if you take someone like Madonna, for example, who just experienced a tumbling down, you know, she fell uh, while performing. A lot of people, including people in the LGBTQ community, made fun of her and, you know, that she's old. And uh, Piers Morgan even said that she needs to stop dressing like a quote-unquote hooker. And, uh, you know, she's already old. She's got to hang up the boots. Uh, I mean, that's ageism to me. Yes, and it's actually one of the – think about back in the – what was it? The 2008 presidential campaign. And so many comedians, you know, Bill Maher and others, who when they were talking about John McCain, the whole point of it was just that he's old. Well, look, you don't agree with what he says, then make fun of what he's saying. But, you know, his age actually had nothing to do with his views. His age had nothing to do with whether or not he should be president. His judgment and who he chooses to run with him, what he said he would do during the, the, you know, the meltdown of the entire world economy. Those are things you can either agree with or disagree with. But, yeah, I mean, ageism is another one of those things that's really kind of a cheap shot. Uh, with think people like Madonna, it's a cheap joke. Since I'm a lesbian and sometimes I prance around in the gay community, uh, I mean, when I hear gay men talk about Madonna being too old and, you know, blah, 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 but yet she's still fierce, I always just, I kind of want to just say to them, like, look, buddy, you, you, you talk like you're still 21 at the club and you're still at the club like 15 years later. So we're all getting old here. And we're, you know, and, and 15 years ago, you were drinking the same drink, that pink stuff. You know, we were talking earlier with Margaret Hoover <laughs> yeah. about how millennials are changing the Republican Party. They're actually, you know, they're going to be changing both parties really significantly. I think as you get more and more out gays and lesbians who are aging into their 60s, 70s and 80s and having wonderful lives and such, that's going to change the LGBTQ world in a good way because people will realize it's not all just 20 year olds at the bar or whatever. It's, it's, it's your life. And we should, uh, you know, somewhat wind down the show on that note. I think that we had an incredible show. I thought Margaret Hoover was an, a great host. Aiden Dow- Dowling was a great, um, uh, guest on our show today. And so we covered transgender men, trans issues. We covered a new Republican party. Uh, what do you think of that? Like, you know, just one last thing, one last note, mm-hmm. a new America with no parties. 
uh, impossible. That's what the founders of this country thought they could do. You can't. You put four people in a room, and they'll, it doesn't mean it, ha that it has to be as negative as it is now. It certainly can get more negative. But, you know, people choose groups and try to do things. Parties and groupings form. I did want to add one really important thing, and I've had thousands of people text this to me during the <laughs> course of this program. I know what you're talking about. They all wanted me to tell you happy birthday. Was, was, was that, I, did I get the message correct? Oh, my god! I'm not sure if the message has come through clearly enough yet. I feel so special. By the way, I do want to correct myself earlier when I said Aiden is on Twitter. I spelled his name wrong. I'm so sorry, Aiden. I'm all over the place today. But it's A-Y-D-I-A-N. That's so right. If you're looking for him on Twitter, it's up there. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here on Tofu Tuesday. It's just Tuesday, March 10th. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. For, for everything else, you want to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, do whatever, or uh, you know, you can head to michellemeow.com or watch the video show of today at commonwealthclub.org. Until tomorrow, my friends, I'm Michelle Meow and John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Bye, folks. <laughs>